0: I think what scares me more, honestly, is is not dying. Mm-hmm. Is living in that that misery and that trapped feeling for the rest of my life. I think that scares me way more than dying. Is there anyone out there?
1: From darkness to life explores the stories of real people who've navigated their way out of life's toughest situations, emerging with greater strength and resilience. If these stories remind you of your own journey and you or someone you know need help, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Whenever you're ready to take that next step, reach out to us at ourcollectivejourney.ca.
2: Welcome back to another episode of From Darkness to Life, sitting here in the Plugged In Media podcast studio. Uh, I just want to thank all the listeners for tuning in every week and our social media engagement. Now that we've broke out our um, From Darkness to Life Instagram page onto its own platform. Uh, it can be located at oh, what is it now? At FDTL podcast. So yeah, anybody who's looking for from darkness to life on Instagram, it has its own home now. It's not mixed in with the all the other stuff that OCJ does and all the other uh, services that we provide. So a lot easier to find, a lot easier to navigate, and a lot easier to really locate the guests. Locate. Um, the topics, the things that we're doing here at From Darkness to Life. So yeah, check out our new social media page, uh, share it. And uh, we just never need, or we never know who's going to need to hear the messages that are shared on this podcast, you know? So the more it can get out there, the the easier it is to find the ears of the people that really need to hear it. So, <coughs> excuse me. With that, I think we're going to uh, get right into this one. This I'm excited to, for this episode We have two individuals here joining us from Calgary, um, and they are both involved with the ARC program. And I'm going to let them kind of describe what the program is because what I can do in 15 minutes, they can probably do in five and give you a lot clearer picture. So with that, I'm going to introduce our two guests. We have Desiree here today, and we also have Sid. Good day.
3: Hello. Hello.
2: (laughs) Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that this finally... uh, for the listeners out there, we've had this in the works for a couple, three weeks now. And this one, we don't have to reschedule. We're here today. You know, I got sick, some other things happened and, but finally we're here. And and I'm so glad to have both of you on the show today, because like I said, this is a, this is a unique program and I can see the value in it. And uh, obviously if you put the work in, it works because you're both here today to share, you know, what that looks like and, and what life was like, what was the turning points and. uh how you both are doing so well now so this is really cool
4: yeah th- thanks a lot for having us and just trusting that the time is right you know we yeah. have a few stumbling blocks for us all to line up and i think that's probably perfect <clears throat> and maybe there's somebody out there listening right now that is meant to be so Absolutely. hello to them and yeah sid do you want to explain what arkis um so arc is the
0: alberta adolescent recovery center so it's a it's a treatment program for adolescents from like i can't remember how young 13 13 i thought it was younger like 12 to
2: i think it's 12 um, to 21 if i'm not mistaken does that sound yeah, right Yeah,
0: you did your yeah. research
2: I did. <laughs> like it's new.
0: um so it's a it's an i wouldn't say it's a it's hard to describe. It's it's an inpatient program. Yeah. It's a long term treatment program. It the minimum time is uh around eight months okay. that you have to spend in treatment. Yeah. And um it's a twelve step based program. So based on the twelve steps of AA or NA or mm-hmm. any of the anonymous things. Right. Um, <laughs> um you go through a full set of steps in treatment that set you up for success when you leave. So, but I think what really, really works about ARC is that all the staff that work there are in recovery or have been through that treatment center specifically. Ah. So it's set up like the rooms of AA or like the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous. It's it's other alcoholics or addicts helping other alcoholics and addicts. Nice. Yeah, and it's. I I think that's just one of the main reasons it works is because. The people there know exactly how you feel. Right. Exactly what you're going through, and they have the tools and experience, the lived experience, not just from a book. Yeah. It teach you how to get
2: better. Amazing. That's really cool. And I like how you phrase that because that's something that I found that worked really well for me in my recovery is, you know, connecting with somebody who had walked through the same kind of path that I had walked and they, they understood the feelings. Like you said, Sid, um, that common thread, you know, all our stories, they were different. The details of them were different, but the common thread was the feelings that came with it. And they could relate to, you know, when I said I was feeling really awful, they knew what that felt like.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. That's exactly that's cool. And it built credibility, right, with that person really fast for me because I knew that they got it.
0: Yeah. And it, it's it's not just the credibility. It gives you something to actually look forward to. Mm. I know for myself going into treatment, like I, I've been in therapy for years and had so many kind of, you know, interventions of sorts of people trying to help me but I never saw people who felt like I did loving themselves and being happy and having this thing that I'd always wanted and feeling connected with other people until arc. Wow. And I finally saw all these people who had felt like, just like I did and had gone through so many of the same experiences thriving. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really hard to deny yourself the chance when you see other people succeeding
2: wow that's i couldn't have worded that any better because what jumps out at me there is that when you connected with those people they give you hope yeah yeah exactly and connection you said it yeah exactly right and i i i know a lot of researchers out there and a lot of doctors and this and that right is the opposite of addiction is connection And yeah. if you can find your people and you can find your passion and your hope and be connected to like-minded people, my gosh, things get a lot brighter. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I this love counts.
4: that. I love is that Gabriel mate Yeah, absolutely. Instead of addiction is connection. Yeah. What an incredible human and teacher. And yeah, I think as a parent too coming in to treatment, we say we're in treatment as well because we go through as Alanon. Parents, um, it was just so reassuring, you know, exactly on in my experience too with my two daughters going through treatment. Um, for those listening, Sid went through treatment and also was in my recovery home. Uh, and we can talk more about that, you know, when the time is right. Mm -hmm. Um, and going to ARC and you end up, you go to these group therapy sessions with other families that are in treatment. The thing that was so reassuring for me was that I wasn't just dropping off my kid and going like, fix them, you know, I'll come pick them up. It was like, you've got skin in the game too. I think that also is very reassuring. I can't speak for them, but for the kids, um, for myself, when you're in a group therapy session and then there is staff standing up relating directly to your child in the room that a similar experience that, and and then you see, you see that bond happening in front of you. You see that Mm -hmm. for the first time, maybe you've taken them to therapy. You've taken them to all, you know, you've gone through the HS system and there's like, nobody can reach your kid. But in those rooms, in those therapy sessions, when your kid's eyes kind of like lift from this place of complete despair or aloneness or shame or whatever it is. And you see them connecting with this other person. Does that ever plant some hope? Right. You're just like, Oh my God, like, like they're reaching them. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing.
2: That's yeah. I love that aspect of this program. And that's something like you said, we'll talk about that, but I love how there's the, the family dynamic—it's not just like you said, Desiree. It's not just dropping someone off from eight to four, and here's here's my child. Fix them, right? It's you have skin in the game, and it's it's about being involved, and everybody's doing some work, and and I think that is one of the real unique pieces to the program.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think what's so interesting as well is that you know addiction is a family disease. Mm-hmm whether the rest of the people in the family are using or not addiction makes the people who love you sick, Yeah, the people who love you, their drug okay. is control. Mm. So to just treat the addict or the alcoholic doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Right. You know, cause cause your families are directly affected by your, your every single one of your choices, whether it's whether you're sober or not. Mm-hmm so to leave your family behind in that just doesn't seem fair and it and it also doesn't set any of you up for success to have a relationship moving forward where you can actually support
4: each other and show up for each other in love yeah yeah we have a shared language now which is so amazing you know Mm -hmm. like And when we kind of know when to get out of somebody else's lane and put the microscope on ourselves instead of the other person, you know, it's hard to it's hard to comprehend that when you're in the the middle of the storm, you know, Um, and once you kind of get through treatment and you both understand the steps you but and really the steps uh, there it's interesting like going into treatment and seeing the word god pop up and he all the time and yeah all these like really you know these yeah just it's it's let's just say it's not very it's not it's not very like woke (laughs) and and i had a lot of resistance uh, to that and you know, and I kind of gave staff a hard time, and I and and then eventually I was able to look at myself and like look at, wow, a lot of this is all about me avoiding looking at my part, and like wow. my kid's addiction isn't my fault, but like man, I have a role to play here. And yeah. uh, watching your kids start to you know succeed and work through the steps, you're just like, well, I gotta freaking do this too, man. Yeah. Like <laughs> look at them go. Um, so. Yeah, like I, don't, I think I went on tangent there. I don't even know what well, it was about, normal. but <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> it's, it yeah, really, it's
2: uh, yeah, it really was, and I think it's that's great. one of the one of the most powerful things that I've heard on our show in a long time. Is you know, coming from the parents' perspective, that what you said is you know, I'm not responsible for it, but I have a role to play in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I I oh, totally I, I work hands on with many parents. And I get contacted quite often by parents saying, what can you guys do? What can your organization do to help fix my child? Right. It's always about somebody else doing the work. And a lot of times it's not even on the realm of possibility that, you know, the parent is going to play a part in this.
4: Right. Yeah. Um, And uh, well, on my end, a lot of, you know, there's there's triggers, right? Like the whole addiction, brain disease model, the fact that it's in the DSM-5 and, and that isn't really comprehended very much, you know, sure. a lot of uh, where we live anyways, like there's a lot of um, sort of that belief that it's a moral failure mm-hmm. instead of the fact that this person is sick, just like if someone has diabetes, they get access to medicine. But if somebody has addiction, it's not really that well known that it right. is actually a brain disease. And yeah. so... Yeah, there is that aspect of it. And there's also triggers, you know, environments, um, family dynamics, whatever, whatever it is. And trauma has like, there's a whole there's a whole scale of Mm -hmm. traumas. You know, it doesn't have to be this really huge thing. Anytime you experience something in life and you don't feel the freedom to fully express, you know, through your words or your body or whatever, the impact of that experience, then that gets stored up as a trauma. And, Mm -hmm. you know, kids, kids, we have so much going on in the world and the whole world in the back pocket and their phones and all that stuff. But for me personally, in our family, when I was married to their father uh it just wasn't working you know we were doing the whole stay together for the kids thing but that was it am i allowed to swear oh yeah uh that was just a shit show you know (laughs) like that there was so much fighting in the house There was so many doors being slammed. it was just and i and then i was going through my shit and had a whole experience of pretty dark depressive episode and so like i'm not attuned right i could be in the room i was on pta in neighborhood blah 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 baking all the muffins doing all the fucking mom shit yeah um but but i wasn't actually in the room right you know i'm yeah. floating i'm dissociated i'm not and kids need that they need you didn't like notice them like who they are at mm-hmm. a fundamental level at just who like know them um so that's something that i really had to look at You know, that was my part. Did it, did it cause it? No, like Oprah would be an addict if all the trauma caused addiction, you know, Uh, but that sure had a big role Mm -hmm. to play and what led them to anesthetize Mm -hmm. from experiencing all the feelings because they're just so stock full of little micro traumas, you know, and then later big ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had to like, look at that or I didn't have to, if I wanted to, I could step into it if I wanted to have, the ability to really connect with myself mm-hmm. and my truth and like, forgive myself okay. so that, you know, if my kid's doing something and it's freaking me out and I'm starting to feel that fear rise up like shit, she's she skipped school and she's on her phone all the time and she is not doing X, Y, Z. Oh my God, this could lead to relapse. Right. You know, <laughs> I need to control, control. It's like, Whoa, slow your roll. Dad's yeah. like, um, how is this about you? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't even go there until I got honest with my past. And wow. it's like, yeah. So there's, there's a lot as you go through the steps, you know, for parents, if they choose to really do, do the work, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah. I think you, that was a lot of uh, insightful information from a parent's point of view and, it's, it's a lot of things that we talk about on the show on the regular, right. Is, is if you want to start changing, it's about recognizing your part in things in the past, owning them, taking accountability, do the work to change behavior, figure out what you can control all those types of scenarios. And, and until I got into recovery and did that, you know, my foundation is 12 step until I, I did that personal work. I had no idea what any of this even meant.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So when you talk about having a common language, I get it. It's, it's something that, you know, is my foundation of recovery is that common language and, and doing the work that's set out in the 12 steps of recovery. Because if I didn't have exposure to that early on, I don't know where I would be today.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Can can you imagine if your parents, (laughs) sorry, honey. No, you're all, did you imagine it? Like if your parents, like if your family, if your brothers and sisters, whatever, imagine if you all had that language though. Wow. Like what you go from being crazy dysfunctional and yeah, it's work, but like the payoff mm-hmm. to have that okay. together, like, holy, that's pretty rare. It's incredibly
0: special. For um, sure. Like I, any of the families that I've known in treatment who have really done their own set of steps, they have this. They have this incredible, like, integrity to them, mm-hmm. and this warmth that when I first met them was mm-hmm. so so far beyond <laughs> what I could have imagined. And and even the families who who haven't done full set of steps, um, like I know my my uh, my family wasn't as regimented in their own program, but they did put in some work, and even with that little bit the relationship that we have now is so vastly different to anything i think i ever would have imagined i'd i'd have
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know I, I think every family squabbles and has little fights and things but but the difference is now that we we can talk about them and not in a in a in a harsh way, Mm -hmm. we can talk about them and come to solutions together and be vulnerable with each other, which I know I, me and my family never could have done. My, my dad's a doctor. Um, (laughs) you know, he, he wasn't a super vulnerable guy, but Mm -hmm. now, now we can talk to each other when things are hard. Yeah. And, and I had never had that with my
3: dad before. Wow. Yeah.
2: Wow. And I, you know, that piece around, you shared your dad, not being very vulnerable. I know being a dad, being a male, um, growing up in that man's man society, growing up through my early years, right. That's kind of what was instilled in me, the vulnerability. I, I didn't even know what that meant. Yeah. I wasn't going to tell you anything <laughs> about myself. <laughs> yeah. There Especially are so my many,
4: so many like brothers in the world, I think that are, and that's what I just call all men, um, yeah. you know, but, that are hurting you know Mm -hmm. from yeah yeah, from from being injured through the patriarchal conditioning Um, and you know I don't want to I don't want to turn anybody away too soon (laughs) with this share uh, (laughs) because it takes a while maybe for the gift of it to land when you do go through the program as a parent but what I what I have witnessed among the fathers that go through is um, they find brotherhood you know they mm-hmm. find because the yeah we have group therapy all together at ARC um, but we also have something called split rap rap is like I was like waiting for people to start breaking out in a rap I had no idea what rap was <laughs> like what's going on here where's the music um, uh, but it's just what they call the therapy sessions and they have split rap where the moms get to go in a room and the dads get to go in a room and oh my god addiction like affects couples and relationships so mm-hmm. much right and so it's just, it's just like a really safe space for you to share fully and sometimes that involves your partner, or some, you know, you just you need that, you need to be able to express and it's a place where it's okay for a man to cry in fact, it's welcome and like all of a sudden you start to understand what, what being a noble masculine man is and that involves talking about your shits and your yeah. feelings and sometimes crying and laughing and all the things that uh, it's really beautiful to see the fathers in the room start to feel like, wow, oh, like I'm allowed to have feelings here too. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It's so true even for the the kids in treatment,
0: right? I mean, I I I had lots of, of boys in my group and, and I remember seeing everybody come in and we all come in with this big mask on. But I remember it being so hard for the boys to be vulnerable like that. Whereas being socialized as a woman is, you know, you're taught that it's okay to be vulnerable. Um, But it was one of the, it's truly one of the most impactful things I've ever seen to see um, a man who's so closed off to how he feels and so afraid to share that, start to open up Mm -hmm. and be real it is so powerful (laughs) like I I could cry right now it's (laughs) it's, um, you get to see these these people again
4: you know yeah like provide safety for also provide safety for the women in the room to be able to soften because a lot of the time there's there's a hardening that happens you know when there's so much you're just operating with so much cortisol and so much, there's just so much shit going down when you're kids. You're just trying to save everybody, do everything. And and we take on these different roles and so healing for, yeah, for all of us when a man can soften and so can a woman. Yeah. yeah.
2: When mm-hmm. I, I can share from my experience, you know, I went to treatment as a 40 year old man when I got into recovery and, uh, yeah sharing in those circles and seeing other males that had been in the program for two, three, four weeks longer than I had been. Right. And, and how emotional they were and how um, vulnerable they were being, but also not ashamed of being that way. When I, you know, my first week in there, I'm like, what is happening here? But by the time I got to three, four weeks into it, when I first had that open vulnerable experience where I could express my feelings and, and there was some tears and there was some tissue and there was, it just kind of came out, but how yeah. relieving that for the first time in my life, I felt like this weight had been lifted off. And what, yeah. so when you talk about that, sit about seeing that in the room, I can instantly go back to that eight and a half years ago where I was that individual, that male sitting there that was, had this wall up, this armor on that nobody was getting through it ever. And I'm not letting you look behind the curtain. But when I first had that breakthrough where I saw that it was okay to be a human being and have feelings and emotions and actually share them, Out loud with people. Wow. That was so foreign to me, but so enlightening. It was like this new way to live. And that's, yeah, fascinating.
4: I'm trying to like put myself back to, okay, if I happened upon this podcast and I'm in the shit Mm
3: -hmm.
4: and the storm, right? Like how it might land and i'm thinking holy it would sound so like utopic and unreachable (laughs) like yeah that's very nice guys but like seriously (laughs) my daughter talks like a gangster and (laughs) i lock my door to my bedroom like we're not probably gonna she's not gonna relate to that so just for anybody that might be listening like that that is that is like the hopeful end game or mid game um but like it was do you want to talk about the chaos like yeah, the, absolutely. where someone might be for sure um, yeah like it didn't it wasn't evident right away and first of all i didn't understand what addiction looked like i i thought Addiction looks like the person downtown Mm -hmm. in the box asking, you know, like with the cardboard signs on the side of the road, like it's sad, but it's very far removed. What I have is a child. She was in junior high at the time, grade seven, starting to skip, starting to experiment with pots, um, just starting to be you know rebellious and disrespectful and all of those things that I was like this kind of sucks like sucks <laughs> to lose this bond and and it's shitty for all of us and the swearing and the whatever but maybe she'll pull through you yeah. know she's this is what they do this is what teenagers do they rebel right. they the, do the thing and I certainly had my fair share of experimentation when I was a teenager so Okay, this is what we do. We get through, but then just it just kept amping up, you know. It was like can't even get her out of bed at all. For it was like I got so tired of just the fighting, trying to drag her to school, the constant phone calls from school, um, just not even passing anything, getting calls from teachers like, Hey, we just noticed your daughter seems like a little strange. We found alcohol in her water bottle like oh, or we found you know and it's like oh that's shitty this is total change in friends yeah like went from all the friendships changed um hygiene changed it was like and then started kind of just being not omily, you know um i started getting worried and then i you know started then i went into my control mode started the fake Instagram account the fake that like just like trying to figure out what's going on. And there's lots of glorification of drugs and yeah. things online and uh, listening to all the music that, you know, glorifies drugs. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's just all these things compiled together. Yeah. Um, and then I started noticing, okay, it's not just pot. She's posting about Xanax. She's posting about this other stuff. And I'm going, Kate, taking her, found a therapist that specialized in uh, addiction. And she's going red flag, red flag. Like this, this is a deal. Uh, I had this other parent. She was best friends with this other girl and we used to call each other. We're like, Hey, you see my kid. Hey, yeah, she's here. Or you've seen, we would just kind of help each other out. And, um, she wasn't around much. I noticed, like, where's this friend of yours? And Amelie just kind of slept off. She's like, oh, she just, she found God. She's weird now. Like, <laughs> you know? and I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe, well, that's cool that at least she's not going downhill anymore because right. she decided to be reborn. I didn't really think much of it. Um, but then her mom called me uh, a couple of weeks later and was like, you know, I got Alice into this program. It's called Ark. And it's the God, because the 12 starts, right? right? for anybody listening it's god of your understanding they are not going to brainwash your child to be in any religious understanding um and she's like it's like really working and i was like okay and i immediately called them and the woman brenda that answers the phone for anybody that calls um she just kind of she went through as a mom and she talks about what some of the signs are she asked a few questions and it was like yes 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 like uh, We just completely passed the is your child an addict questionnaire, you know? Mm -hmm. So that surprised me. That was my first entry into like having an understanding of. Addiction, like, wow, really? Like that, and then that was just the beginning, right? Um, But I didn't know. I didn't know in the beginning. I just thought she's being a rebel. Okay, she might be affected by divorce. We'll go to therapy. We'll try all these things, but it just kept amping up. And I was watching the life in her eyes disappear. Mm -hmm. Like, it was that. It was that life, that soul, that energy. It was just not there anymore it's very very scary and sad um and thankfully another mom she just told me and that's kind of how people find out about it and nobody told me i went through alberta health system uh with my uh second daughter she had a suicide attempt um mental health issues i mean all of those things end up being related you know not always but addiction affects you in many ways and it just wasn't addressing the core issue. You know, Mm -hmm. nobody told me about ARC, all the, all the meetings at school with the counselor, with the principal, the suspensions, the issues with the police, nobody told me about ARC. And um, so, yeah, thanks for having us because someone, someone's got to be told about ARC, you know? (laughs) For
2: sure. And and I can't imagine how many parents out there will be listening to this and resonate with, the journey you just shared with everybody, right? The progression of addiction and how for people that have never been around it or have this preconceived notion about what addiction is, it's the person downtown under the bridge, right? Mm-hmm. That's the last thing they're thinking about with their young mm-hmm. ones.
4: Yeah. Huge. Do you want to share your shit show, uh, do you... <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, sure. From your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Different, uh, yeah. Um,
0: well, yeah, I mean, I, I um I I didn't really understand what addiction was either I I grew up with quite a bit of alcoholism and parts of my family so I was I don't know but nobody ever really talked about it like that it was something that was brushed under the rug right so when I started to use drugs and things at the age of around 14 um I didn't really see that as an issue even when it became quite regular use right because it was you know it it wasn't impeding my life in major ways mm-hmm. um and i i moved in and out of different houses and kind of flip-flopped around because i felt like there was just something wrong i never felt like i was home and i i was just constantly searching to feel whole mm. yeah. um and so when i when i first found drugs and and the scene that kind of comes along with it i i felt belonging for the first time i had in a very long time
3: right
0: um so i i really chased that feeling which makes sense because because that's what i'd been searching for mm-hmm. um but uh Dr. Vaz the guy who uh who started arc always says that it's it's fun and then it's fun with problems and then it's just problems
2: mm, well put and
0: that yeah his words not mine yeah. <laughs> um but it's so true because in the beginning it was so much fun i i felt like i finally had friends and i could be myself um which i had always struggled to do and then as it progressed i I was really struggling with my family, and I blamed them for everything going on. It was it was always a somebody else's issue, and and not my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it progressed and progressed, I was doing different drugs. I was doing Molly. I was doing uh, LSD and mushrooms. Psychedelics were my drug of choice because it made me feel connected to something bigger than myself.
3: Yeah.
0: Um. And towards the end of it, I was out of school. Um, I was living with random people, not in my hometown of High River. Um, and I got put in P-Chat, which is uh like a, a short term uh detox for, for kids. Um and I remember being in there and just thinking, you know, what a joke.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> like I'm gonna be out of here in a week. And nothing will have changed. And and when I got out, my my dad said, "You can you can stop and come home, or you can keep going, but you have to leave." And I was like, "Well, okay. that's an easy choice." So I I left, and I was uh, living with random people, kind of wherever I could, doing whatever I really could to survive. And mm-hmm. it was really really scary. I bet. I it, it had always been really scary for a long time. Um, But towards the end, it was, there was a point where I was like, Oh my God, what am I doing? Which is quickly followed by another drink or another, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like whatever to shove that down. But by the end, you know, the drugs and the alcohol weren't shoving how I was feeling down. Like it used to.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, and finally, um, my, my family found me one day by literally a miracle. They found me wandering around barefoot and, um, and they, you know, they tried to convince me to come to ARC and I was, I was livid. So me and my friends ran, but the, the cops came and they took me to Peachad, and I was like, okay, whatever, another 10 days. Um, and then they took me to ARC. Wow right after and my my first couple days in ARC were in isolation because this was during COVID so I I couldn't really you know see any of the other kids or anything but I I remember just like howling with um just pain like I was livid because you were taking away the one thing that I needed to survive which was drugs and um a staff well uh Clinical. and her name is kelly she's incredible she always said that you know the more um the harder your intake is the the harder it is for you to really let go of of drugs right and that was pretty true for me because i did not come quietly but on those first couple of nights there were staff there with me who I gave the silent treatment at first, and I refused to eat because I was like, well, maybe my mom will come pick me up if they think they're starving. (laughs) me." Yeah. (laughs) I was very sick, but I remember um, there was a staff who was there at the time, and I I told her all these things that I had never told anybody that I, I thought I would take to my grave, and I don't know why I was telling her those things, but I just was. She looked at me, and she went, oh, me too. Oh, wow. And, um, and as I got into group, uh, with the rest of the kids and the rest of the staff, I, even though I didn't want to be there, even though I wanted nothing more in that, in those first couple of weeks than to get high, I felt home Mm. for the first time since I was like 12. Um, and, and somebody told me when I was first in, they said, you know, just give it a chance. Like, give it everything you got. Mm-hmm. Do a full set of steps. Yeah. And if it if it hasn't changed, if you haven't felt any better, if this isn't for you, well, there's nobody stopping you right. from going back. And I was like, you know what? Well, fine. So I did, and I gave it everything I had. And by step three, I was like, oh, yeah, this is for me. Wow. wow. <laughs> um, and I turned 18 in treatment, and I stayed because I... I knew I needed to be there and I found family and Mm -hmm. like Miss Pressy became such a wonderful, (laughs) wonderful woman in my life. And all these, these wonderful families who take you in and then getting to reconnect with my family and be the older sibling for my little brother that I'd never gotten to be. And I got to come out as non-binary, which is something that I was so afraid to do for so long. And, um,
2: yeah, it was, it was worth it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> I feel so Well, I, it's that attitude of gratitude. I feel so blessed to be able to sit here week after week and and meet individuals who are living a different quality of life now compared to where they came from, because I know based on my own experience, how magical that is and how transformative, like it's a new way of living and it's, it's, it's the light, right. It's the hope that we talk about and to hear both of you share your experiences with arc and how that was the piece that, you know, opened the door to this new way of living. It's I, I, I 100% can relate to all that. And just what you had said there, Sid about, you know, somebody telling you, give it your all, do a full set of steps, do the work. And you know, this, this goes back to my stint in treatment um, I ran into an individual who had, I've shared this before on the podcast. He was a therapist there, but he had 25 years in a program. And he also was like, when I dumped all my stuff on him, he's like, yeah, man, I get it. This is me, right? You're telling my story from back then. And he was the one who gave me the same advice that that individual gave you. Give it everything you have for a year, do everything that comes your way from somebody you trust in recovery. And at the end of that year, if it doesn't get any better for you, man, drugs and alcohol are still going to be there. Go back out. Who cares? It's up to you at that point. You've yeah. tried this. That's always there, right? And darned if, you know, I got to that one year mark and man, my life had drastically changed and I, it was amazing. So I thought, why wouldn't I just keep doing this?
3: Yeah,
0: exactly. Right? I mean, I i i, I had a, I have a life that I had always wanted back wow. then, you know? Yeah. Um, I had this dream of being you know, this artist and doing all these incredible things. And I am now, I am doing it. I'm, I have <laughs> successful art. I'm in university for it. I have a beautiful band and a beautiful group of friends and a beautiful group of people in recovery and a partner and a family. And, and, and I know for a fact that if it was not for ARC, I would be dead. Yeah. Wow.
2: It doesn't get any more real than that statement. Yeah, And it's so true, right? I know just as the same that, you know, right? Continuing down that path I was on, I was going to die.
0: I think what scares me more, honestly, is, is not dying, Mm. Mm -hmm. is living in that, that misery and that trapped feeling for the rest Mm -hmm. of my life. I think that scares me way more
2: yeah when I think that what you just said there I I know it goes back to what you said earlier Desiree like how can we relate to somebody out there who's struggling right now mm -hmm. that statement right there I resonate with that because the pain of staying the same was the part I wanted to eliminate but I didn't know how to eliminate Mm -hmm. I didn't think there was any way out of it and I just wanted to die to stop hurting and stop that darkness
4: yeah I think a lot of yeah a lot of people in addiction that's 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 their exit and if they hear yeah. that there's you know somebody's got something out there that killed someone then give me that because yeah. that's either a better high or an exit yep yeah.
2: yeah. and that's so.
4: exactly
2: wow yeah and that's that's the the harsh truth of you know the depths of where addiction can take us and it's i always describe it as the darkest you know that last 4 or 5 days was the darkest moments of my entire life and and i didn't see any light anywhere I just thought that's how it was going to end because I knew no other way. I didn't know anybody else who was going through what I was going through. Um, And that's mainly because so many people don't talk about it. We don't normalize these conversations, you know, and that's part of what we do here is if I'm struggling, there's probably five other people that I'm going to run past today that are struggling with similar things, right? But none of us choose to talk about it. So we struggle through life alone thinking nobody's going to understand me. Nobody, you know, I'm not taking down that that curtain to let anybody know my problems. And it's just that stigma-based thinking that, man, there's a lot of people out there struggling. And and I love that you two came on today to discuss what this can look like for for people because I can share my story a million times and it's only going to resonate with a handful of people.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think Sid touched on something that's really um, maybe important for parents to know mm-hmm. too. Um, you know, choosing to stay once they had their 18th birthday in treatment, um, that became a choice then. And the compassionate intervention piece that ARC provides, um, was everything in terms of me being able to give my kids a chance. And I think for for your family too, because mm-hmm. there's no way. Um, First of all, I didn't know the depth. We usually know the tip of the iceberg as parents, you know, yeah. um, how much our children are actually suffering, mm-hmm. the depth of their despair, and also the depth of their using. So wow. in treatment, we come to find out how much more intense it is, and it's a lot to swallow. Um, but statistically speaking, you probably don't know how bad it is. If you think there's a problem, chances are there's a big one. Uh, and then if I were to say to Amelie, just like Sid's parents did, like, hey, there's this, or Ava, there's this place called Ark and it helps in all the things and all the magical experiences and success stories and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> there's no fucking way they would have chosen it. Then yeah. It's like, fuck you. Um, So being able to bring them there and have them brought in by other staff and they're it's it's against their will it's not like this yeah it's not a cushy intake process for all of them some of them go unwillingly um most of them don't and they're there long enough but it's not just a tolerance break like peach had, thanks for being there i used it as a strategy got a court order got my kid you know in there so i had 10 days to get everything in order so that i could bring her to arc after um, because a tolerance break is really dangerous Mm -hmm. you know when these kids are using a lot and they have a break and then they go out Mm -hmm. and they use what they used to that's overdose that's an overdose Um, and so they need to be they need to be sober long enough to remember who they really are again and from that place they get to choose like oh yeah okay i do want this but no kid wants that when they're in their shit you know they don't even know who they are for sure Yeah. yeah
0: Well, in that you're, you're taken over by this, this disease in your brain. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's pretty impossible to say you need to be at a really, (laughs) a really different place to be able to say, yeah, I want to get sober at, you know, when you're 17. Right. I, so, so if, if I had not been put in there against my will, I, I, never would have gotten sober at well well at least until I was much older if I was still alive. Right. But I think one of the most incredible things now is that being sober this long, um people who know me who aren't sober, my friends from before or people yeah, people I know who use when they want something better, they get to look at me. Yeah. And know that it isn't miserable wow. and know that somebody gets it and know that there's help.
2: Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. And, and what I love about that's that statement is you're like this walking example of hope for them, right? Cause at one point you were them, Now you're on the other side of it and you're living a life that you've always dreamt of. You're actually living it. And you're this example for people to, to look at and see that, you know, wow, if she, you know, if, if Sid can do it, why can't I do it? And now I don't have to do it alone because I just have to go and ask Sid a few questions and maybe she can help me a little bit.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and the wild thing so much of the time is that you really don't even have to do anything. Yeah, You can just walk out there, be yourself. And if you notice somebody struggling, you can say, hey, I know how you feel. And it's that simple. Mm-hmm. And it's how, not some huge, like, <laughs> extravagant, you know, yeah, thing. Well,
2: and how powerful is that statement, right? I, I get it. I, I know what you're feeling, right? I may not know exactly what your circumstances are, but I get it. And just yeah. to have that connection with somebody. Oh, my how i know how but how did you two get connected let's share a little bit more about how that program works and how how this all works
4: yeah well I, it's kind of like was news for me going in <laughs> i was like okay i knew from talking with this other mom like this was working for alice and uh so let's get amelie in there and go on the site you understand a little bit and i heard Brenda mentioned something about a recovery home mm-hmm. um, and but I didn't really fully understand what that was until uh, we were in and and So the way it works is it's a semi-residential long-term treatment facility. And the reason it's semi-residential is they're in the facility. It's a beautiful facility. They have a private, they have a gym and a private trainer and a chef. And like, it's not like a jail. It's like they have, they they got art, they've got pool tables, TV, ping pong, all the things. So, (laughs) Um, and so they're, and they do deep, deep work all day. And they break it up with, with play and connection. And then they go back in um and then at the end of the night instead of sleeping there they go home to recovery homes and so when you are as a parent in the program once you've moved a little bit further along with your steps you start to have a grasp on yourself and you've kind of gotten out of that uh i mean you're just kind of like like a deer in the headlights for a while and you know you're processing and then um once you've kind of moved along then you are expected to open a recovery home in your home and so that looks like you know putting in some alarms putting locks on things putting the sharps away like some of these kids are still processing a lot Mm -hmm. of shame or self-harm and so you just make your house safe um, and then one of the bedrooms becomes a recovery bedroom. And so there's some bunk beds you have to be fit to, to take home for clients at a time. Their kids in treatment are called, referred to as clients. Yeah. Um, and so you, you kind of have some time to get all that ready. And then you start taking kids home, but you don't take your own kid home, not for a while. Um, because that's just like, it's too reactivating yeah. for both of you. You both need to kind of get to a better place in your steps so that you're ready and you have the tools you need to be, you know, stable again. So you take home other kids that are in treatment, but they don't just send kids home with you that aren't already uh haven't been reminded of themselves yet they're they're further enough along that they're like okay i'm in you know and the cool thing about the program is not only are the staff easy to relate to you know kids can't like snow snowman type of thing um the clients that are further along in the step they become mentors so they help take care of the uh, the newer intakes and they help guide them and then they go home with them so you're taking home four kids but out of the four at least one is not two are further along in the steps that they're there to help to, to you know if the kid wakes up in the middle of the night they're providing guidance if, yeah. they, if they're having a hard day they're giving them the reassurance they need but also for you as a parent you know you've got an extra pair of eyes mm-hmm. you've got someone there that together you're holding a safe place for everyone. Um, And then it's actually my favorite and every, almost every parent that goes through treatment will say, it's my favorite part of this program because you get to see these kids start to come back online and their light come back in their eyes and you you get, it's a really special, special thing to really start caring about, you know, someone else's child Mm and, and, And you, you see who they truly are. And it completely changed my perspective also on what I thought about addicts and addiction. And like, these are some really beautiful, deep feeling, sensitive people, uh, for the most part, that can't handle how sensitive they are, you know, so they find the best tool to deal with the flood of all the stuff. And so when they start coming online like you get a chance to connect with some really beautiful kids um and then on weekends you get to go on outings you get to, to like you know you go to the mountains or you go to the movies or you, you go, go to the
0: trampoline park yeah, yeah. You go
4: to the, like kids play park and you just Blow off some steam. These kids need some fun, right? Sure. And we do too. So, <laughs> um, and for siblings, like I have a 13 year old son that, um, yeah, both his sisters went away, right? It's and he got to experience having other uh, clients in the house and connecting with this community that way and feeling a part of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once your kid is further far enough along, then they become the mentor in your home, wow. and they come home and they're in a different place now and you get this time to reintegrate while you still have the support system. Hi, honey. My son just got home from school. (laughs) Um, While you still have the support system of ARC, right? So because you're going to butt up, you're going to fall into old patterns and then They have a place to go to, Mm -hmm. to be able to figure that out and work through that. It's not just, uh, you know, get through the steps and go home. It's like get far enough along that you get to trigger each other and still have the support when you need it the most. Um, Yeah, it's really well organized. Yeah. so. Oh yeah sorry. That was we didn't. Even, I didn't even answer the question. You can answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I was just going to add to the part
0: of like the mentorship. So from steps one to three, you're a newcomer yeah. as a client in treatment. So you're very monitored. You don't go home. You don't see your family. Um, uh, you don't have many privileges. You have a locker at at the the facility, um, and you get taken home at night. Um, but on step three, you get a chance to start to, you know, have a little bit more freedom and step up into a role of helping others. And Mm -hmm. so you get a couple more privileges, like you're allowed to drink coffee and like walk around by (laughs) yourself. Um, and then on step four, you become an old comer. So an old comer is is a client that takes other kids home at night as well. So you you monitor them, you uh help them with all the things they need, you walk them around the center, you um you're an extra set of eyes. Right. You you're 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 kind of the little first responder, right? Um and then as you move farther along, you're allowed to go back to school and you're allowed to Uh, call certain people in treatment or you're allowed to call people out of treatment and um, yeah so you have the support and kind of every step of the way of reintegrating into the world Mm -hmm. in a healthy way Um, but I think the recovery homes are, are just so important in that because when you're in an institution for so long that whole Reintegration thing is pretty hard to do because yeah. you're separated from the world. You have no sense of real like normal normalcy. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but getting to go into people's homes every night mm-hmm. and just be a kid is so important. Yeah. Because you know you're you're dealing with hard stuff, so you need to be able to just go be a kid. Yeah, um, and I I know for myself that when I was an old comer and I got to take kids to my house every night, it was so special. Um, we had some of the most incredible conversation, and I made some of these relationships that I will value for the rest of my life. And same with my dad and and my stepmom and my little brother. He was just five or right? yeah, he was five yeah. at the time, and he just loved
2: everybody. Oh, I bet.
0: You know, it's just it's like a sleepover. Yeah. Kind of with a lot more rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of like more with more rules. Um, but it is really important. And that's how I got to know Miss Pressy because um I was in treatment with her older daughter and then also her younger daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, but before uh Amelie had gone home. When Miss Pressy opened up her home for clients, I I got to come here, and I wow. remember the first time I met her. We started talking about Leonard Cohen and a bunch of hippie stuff, and she's an artist and I'm an artist, and and I walked into this house and I felt at home again, just like I had at Arc for the first time. So wow. you have these people who step up and be your be huge supports for you, and they don't even have to. Right. They just love you. <clears throat> And it's
2: pretty incredible. No kidding. I think that is the piece, you know, when I, when I started to really dig into ARC and look at what makes ARC the program that it is, that's one of the most unique pieces that jumped out at me was this recovery home concept and the family theory, right. And, and it not being your family, it's, it's somebody else. You're going to somebody else's home, but how beneficial that is to the parents and to the, like you said the client going to that home right you get to see both sides of it but it's not your own child it's somebody else's child and you get to you get to see the work that they're doing and also knowing that your child is in somebody else's home doing similar things i i just think it's such a unique perspective that yeah i i love hearing about it and i love hearing about it from both sides from both of you you know what what your experience was Desiree and what your experience was said, being a client in somebody's home. That's fascinating.
4: I think it's so interesting how families can be, to have so much diversity with under one roof, mm-hmm. you know, same parents, same circumstances. And, and there's, they're so different and it's interesting that we live in such seclusion mm. um in society and and we say flippantly like it takes a village but there's no village anymore mm. and we're meant to like go to our, our aunties you know uh, different they, like no we're not related but they're our aunties and our uncles and our whatever and like come to them with our issues and and gain insight and support and mentorship and belonging because a parent can't be at all you know I think a lot of kids feel I certainly didn't I'm sure my kids have because we're not they are not always so similar to each other they feel like those micro rejections or like they don't quite belong sometimes because I can't be all of those roles to them but in 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 arc, it's like you get that village experience again and yeah. you know S- Sid has you know two beautiful you know a father and, and a stepmother that are amazing and, yeah. and wildly intelligent and so and not artists at all right and <laughs> right. so for for Sid to have that belonging like that that aspect, I, I I'm speaking for you. Yeah. But like, and I know for my daughter, like she really bonded with a couple of the other moms because they were more similar to her. You know, they like they they. I don't know sometimes my kids look at me like I'm an alien when I'm talking sometimes because I'm just like pulling in the stars and the cosmos and it's like Jesus mom Um, you know but like but because but we're meant to cross pollinate we're meant to affirm each other's existence here and like I don't know that's really a cool part of arc is we get the village back Yeah. yeah 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 it's that connection that's opposite of addiction
2: for sure and i i love that analogy and and it's so true right it takes a village but the village is long gone we we haven't seen one in years and um i think that's the coolest analogy cuz that's when i did my research around arc i think you just summed it up in a nutshell right it is this village that's that's helping the individuals find a better quality of life
0: it's family
2: oh my gosh
0: it's it's this one big loving kind of chaotic, functional, beautiful, beautiful, like uh, connected family. And um, it's, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be sober without it. I'll, every single person who was in treatment when I was in treatment played a role
4: in me being sober today. Yeah. And That's I'd still an be addicted to control, probably. Yeah. And, and, mm, I'm a bit arrogant too. And just like, <laughs> <laughs> I, and, and isolated and, you know, just, I would have my own addictions as well if it wasn't, if it wasn't for ARC. Yeah. Wow. yeah.
2: Yeah. Amazing. I am so glad that, uh, we finally found the opportunity. And like you said earlier on, Desire, I think the opportunity found us, the the stars aligned and this was the time this episode mm. was meant to, to be, Recorded and and these discussions had because it's about control, right? I didn't control a lot of the things that led up to this podcast, so I'm glad that it happened today. um It unfolded. I'm so
4: glad you're here too. Oh, it's we amazing. had a we were going to have a different graduate guest who who wasn't able to make it today, so it is is like the stand-in, but I think meant to be here. So yeah.
2: I think so. I, I yeah. completely agree, and I think with the other guest who was supposed to be on. Maybe that's one down the road. We we come on again and do it with that individual. Mm -hmm. But I think this was this was meant to happen today. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow! You should talk with her as well. She's a really cool story. Incredible human being.
2: Well, I really believe that uh, there is an opportunity for that to happen in the future. I think because these are fascinating. Um, stories. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your experiences, you know, personal experiences with addiction and your loved ones and your experience going through ARC and continuing to support each other. I mean, you're living proof that connection is the hugest piece of this, right? Cause you're still connected and you're still supporting one another. So that's, that's an amazing piece in itself, I think. Yes.
4: Thank you.
2: If, uh, if there was one thing, let's go back to that listener who's maybe out there, who's in the depths of it and struggling and not sure what to do next. What would, mm-hmm. from both of you ladies or both of you, what would you suggest? What was, what's one cool thing that might be able to get through to somebody that might be beneficial to them taking that last courageous step to, to doing something different?
4: Um, I would say if you can today be one just one percent more curious Mm. than you are uh in fear or judgment or ice or whatever your go-to is just one percent more curious um that there's so much wisdom and possibility in that and um and it's just extend an invitation to follow it make the call and just you don't even have to know what to say yeah they know what to say on the other line of that phone when you call arc um yeah, I say just follow that cuz there's an inner guidance in you uh just just longing to be known, you know.
2: Yeah. Wow. Sid, what about you?
4: Um
0: I think I'd just repeat what I said earlier that you know, it's it's worth a shot. Just try as hard as you can and if it doesn't work, then there's nobody stopping you. Yeah. But,
2: wow. It's worth it. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And, and like I feel, you know, the last hour we've had this discussion, I feel the hope that you both exude even through a Zoom screen, right? I I see it and I see, I see the difference. You know, I didn't know you before, but I just from listening to your stories, I see how passionate you are and how, how vibrant you both are, how excited you are. And you're just this living example of, Obviously, that program can work.
4: Thank you. The ring light helps. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. I, oh, I can see a reflection in Sid's glasses now. I do see the ring light. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. oh, that's good. Oh,
4: we weren't sure. We we're like, is this video? Is this not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know. yeah. This has been really great. Where are you yeah. based
2: out We're located in Medicine Hat, so not too far from you guys. Okay.
4: Yeah. yeah. If you're in town, we should hang out. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. We we mm-hmm. we also
2: have an office up there in Calgary, so we'll connect cool. and and uh, yeah. When we are up in Calgary, we'll definitely connect and grab a coffee or something. Because I would just love to sit down and and hear more about just your guy your journeys. Because you know
4: and yours yeah, oh gosh, yeah i'm sure we've sure. got a lot of people that could benefit from hearing yours so um and thank you for choosing to devote your your energy and your days and your time to you know bringing people into the fold of like what is possible by going into the the darkness like yeah. that's that's where so much is seated okay. and um yeah, I just really appreciate you doing what you do in the world and sharing the opportunity to share this story because I'm sure there's someone out there right now that really needs to hear it. So thanks for, for, for that.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I have a whole team of recovery coaches and people at OCJ that uh, that are working behind the scenes, you know, helping people on a daily basis. So it's not just me, but I I truly believe that if somebody wasn't there early on in my recovery to give me a hand, I don't know where I would have ended up. So, I mean, of course we're just going to spend the rest of our days being that person to help somebody when they, when they're ready to make that first step, that 1% change, somebody Mm -hmm. should be there to, to help them because that window, I'm sure you can relate to this, Sid, that window of opportunity closes really fast. Mm -hmm. I know for me, it did. Like there was some moments in my journey where I thought, man, I should reach out for some help nah it's not that bad yet (laughs) i'm not as bad as that person so i'll just keep going yeah but But
0: i think what you said is so so important which is we have to give away Mm -hmm. but we've been so freely given absolutely how we keep it and that's that's so important in my recovery at least
2: yeah yeah, it would be almost selfish for me to get well and then just go live my life and not help somebody avoid the darkness or find their way out of the darkness. Um, I just know, like I shared earlier, right. That was the darkest moment of my life. And if this episode helps one person who's listening out there, which I'm fairly confident it might, um, it's worth it every time, right. To have these conversations and share these experiences and share your journey with somebody out there who's struggling and you never know who's going to need to hear it and what it's going to lead to. And sometimes we're not meant to know, but I, I do know based on the feedback and the, and the people reaching out to us here that people are listening and people are really finding a lot of benefit in hearing these, these stories. So thank you both so much for coming on. Um, I am going to put, <clears throat> excuse me, I do this at the end of every episode. We're going to put ARC's website and um, any other contact information that you guys that you can share with me after the show I'll put it in our footnotes so that anybody who's listening can you know low barrier right let's eliminate as many obstacles as we can and we'll put links in every thing we have and let's see if we can get some people some help yeah let's do
4: it <laughs> thank you so much thank you for having me it was yeah. a pleasure
2: absolutely thank you very much and uh, with that we're going to wrap up this episode of From Darkness to Life so make sure to check us out on Instagram at FDTL Podcast um, also all our, our collective journey stuff so ourcollectivejourney.ca check our website out there's links to all our services and uh everything else related to us so thanks again for tuning in without the listeners you know it's just me sitting in here talking to dave so <laughs> uh
3: dave.
2: <laughs> dave's a great guy i don't mind sitting talking with him so anyway thanks for everybody who tuned in and uh, we'll catch you next week
1: from darkness to life is an our collective journey podcast These are the real stories of people who've triumphed over the many challenges of life's journey. If you or a loved one needs support, please reach out to ourcollectivejourney.ca. Our commitment is to empower you to build resilience as you journey towards recovery. Consider showing your support by donating online at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pate. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Crookshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive.